what do elite performers like U.S. Navy SEALs, top gun fighter pilots, Olympic athletes, senior NFL referees, along with organizations like the FBI Leadership Academy, the Coca-Cola Company, and AT&T and many others share in common with today's featured guest on the Leadership Standard. Yes, our guest has touched these organizations and many more as an experienced business leader, behavioral scientist, she has a very rare combination of extensive academic training and in the trenches experience. In other words, she basically blends that 30,000 foot view with hands-on experience and very practical tools to create immediate and lasting change. Uh, with her background in neuroscience, she also presents her uh, material in a very digestible way. A three-time speaker of the year in the world's most prestigious CEO peer advisory group. She's appeared on many uh, networks, including NBC, ABC, Fox News, National Public Radio. Please welcome to the Leadership Standard, Holly Green. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with you. It's great. And we got to start right away, Holly. You're based just outside of Denver and you are a number one fan of the Colorado Avalanche. Absolutely. Unquestionably so. <laughs> and I believe they are the defending Stanley Cup champions last time I checked. Yes, indeed. We still are and will be again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so listen, Holly, to, to kind of kick things off here, um, people would be fascinated, I think, to know a little bit about that blending of the 30,000 foot view with what goes on in the trenches. Because right away, I always think about, well, there's Supreme Allied Command, mm -hmm. where Eisenhower and the generals gather, but then there's the real foxholes of business. And that's yes. a, that's an Holly, that's a good place to start because that's an interesting place, isn't it? How, how do you navigate between those two worlds? Well, it's a, it's a great question, and it is an ongoing challenge for most of us because in our brain, we have these great intentions, we have all these theories, we read these books and, you know, get engaged with the latest and the greatest sort of management and leadership practices and our brain, when we have a good intention, sort of registers that maybe we've already done it when in fact, oftentimes we have not. So my expertise has always been taking that theory and driving it to execution. What does that mean day to day, moment to moment in the decision making processes of our individual contributors, our frontline employees, you know, our folks that are on the line manufacturing and whatever it is. What does it mean? How does it translate? And how do we set individuals up to be successful in how we believe the outcome should happen? So, which begs the question, could you give us like a real life example where some of your work has helped close that gap? Sure. In fact, I have an incredible client in Canada. Um, it's a manufacturing facility. And one of the things we created about five years ago or so is the criteria that customers make to choose this client. Okay. So we chose the top five reasons and we gathered a lot of input and researched that the top five reasons or five things that are most important to customers in choosing this client. And what we then did is created a scorecard so that it's, as soon as we engage with a customer, we know quality is the most important thing or on-time delivery or uh, communications or whatever it is in the criteria. And we have made sure that every single order that drives through the plant is tagged with that in bright colors. So you know if you're working on an order, the color of the production is the most important single element to that customer. You can, or on-time delivery is. So I can, I can rearrange the schedule if I need to because the others that I have queued up, that's not the most important thing. So it gives the individual employees on the, on the machines, the, in, the, in the factory, the ability to make the best possible choices moment to moment. I always say to leaders, everyone in your organization right this very second is making a decision. How do they know the best decision to make? 
We presume and assume as leaders, if we have that great meeting at the beginning of the year, we tell you what our goals are for the year, you're going to run off and do everything aligned to that. Well, firstly, we know within an hour, most of that information is gone from your head. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Secondly, we haven't threaded it through all of what I call touch points in the organization, our processes, our systems, the way we reward, the way we promote, hire, fire, don't align to the same criteria. So we have to get all of that completely woven together so that we've created a system where winning is crystal clear with specificity. You have the tools and the resources to help get you there. You are clear as an individual. You have the ability to make the best possible choice or decision moment to moment throughout every single moment that you're working. It is when all those things come together that your profits and your uh, <laughs> and your revenues uh, drive exponentially. And every client that I've worked with who who really dives into this, um, certainly, I'll give you the example, very specific dollars for my client in Canada. We started out at about a $22 million a year uh, manufacturing, just closed their fiscal year and closed it at $129 million with profits higher than ever. So, and, and they're having more fun. They're mm -hmm. having more fun because they're winning. And winning, by the way, is the deepest instinct in the adult human. We are now, creatures who want to win. Now, here, here's what I suddenly find fascinating that we can really do a deep dive on, Holly, is that I could have read about for another 10 minutes about your credentials. You were uh, <laughs> yeah. involved with the Ken Blanchard company, and you've got this extensive background in academia. And I have proof from the Internet of Holly holding a human brain. Okay? <laughs> sure enough. But it's a blue one, but it <laughs> and it's a blue human. Now I'm not going to ask questions, Holly, where you harvested this particular brain from, but I think that's, I think that would be very like extremely fascinating for viewers and listeners to know what you're talking about is closing the gap between the good intentions and execution and getting things done. What's mm -hmm. specifically going on in the brain that gets in the way? Well, and that is the fun part. First of all, we all have a bit of narcissism in us, Gar. So <laughs> we like learning about ourselves and we love learning about our brain. So everything I get to do really comes from a, a fun, uh, upbeat, positive kind of perspective. So how do we leverage this organ in the human body that first of all, consumes a lot of our energy. Secondly, we have to carry around with us everywhere anyway and is the organ we know the least about truly you know we're just in the infancy of understanding the brain the things we believe we know and keep in mind every single thing i tell you today could change tomorrow uh, mm. about the brain um we're pretty clear uh that your deepest instinct is to win uh you know we've talked about fight or flight being a deep instinct and it is it's very deep is driven by the desire to win survival is considered winning by your brain. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do we tap into that? We also believe are fairly certain today that you are better at proving yourself right than any other single thing you do as an adult human. You are constantly doing it. We are emotional, illogical, irrational creatures who are phenomenal at proving ourselves right uh, and then layering on validation. Okay. We also believe, in, and I'm, I'm just kind of throwing a lot of these sort of premises about the brain out there to get started, lay the foundation. We have something called cognitive fusion that all of us are also very good at, which simply means our brain does not discern between opinion, hypothesis, speculation, and fact. It all becomes data to our brain and our brain takes that data and very quickly selects it, makes assumptions based on it, draws conclusions based on our beliefs about the world and then takes action. And that happens in nanoseconds. And then we prove ourselves right. We look for evidence. So let's use a really simple one that most of us have probably experienced at work. You know, I don't smile at you in the meeting, you know, and so you presume I'm out to get you. I really don't like you. You're probably going to lose your job. So you go out and start looking for another job. 
in fact, you know, maybe I was out drinking too much the night before. I didn't feel well. <laughs> Who knows, right? It could be. You went to an avalanche game. They <laughs> won in overtime and you might have celebrated a little too hard. That's so who knows what the real story is, but our brain will not live with a void in that serial movement of information, if you will, up to getting us to action. And so I make stuff up. We call it MSU. And we are incredible at making stuff up. We fill in the blanks. We fill them in very, very quickly. And then I watch you like a hawk. Next time you walk by me in the hallway and you are not as exuberant as normal. You see, I told you, I told you he was out to get me. You see, I'm, I'm not making this up, right? I've got facts. You see, he didn't call on me in the meeting, right? I, I'm, I'm, this is truth. This is how those wonderful corporate myths get started. You know, if you do this, you'll be fired. No one's ever been fired for that in the history of the organization, but everybody absolutely believes it, you know, or this is the way things really get done. Um, so it's fascinating how our brain takes all these premises. We want to win, but organizations are not great at defining it with specificity. We use words like integrity. You know, we operate with integrity here. And the problem is if I've got 50 employees, I've got at least 51 definitions of what that means. Okay. So everybody thinks they're doing a great job. They think they're moving towards winning. But the challenge is one person is at the track. One person is at the swimming pool and one person is performing on a theater stage. Everybody's doing something different, believing they're doing the right thing because we all want to win, but we have to make stuff up and fill in the blanks. And then as soon as we do that, we start proving ourselves right. Right. So we get very tangled in this web. And unless we start at the very, very beginning of that process, define winning with specificity, create an ecosystem that supports it in every single touch point. Every time we touch an employee, a customer, a vendor, a supplier, it all colludes with getting us to winning. Then we've got people running multiple races all believing they're doing the right thing, except that one out of 100, by the way, which is a psychopath at work. And that's just statistically the way that works out. Other than that one, okay, yeah. <laughs> everyone wants to do a good job and wants to do the right thing. So we have to build off of that foundation of getting crystal clear on winning. Now I use a whole toolkit and a set of processes and tools and templates and that kind of thing, because almost every leader has it in their head what winning is. It is the inability to articulate it with specificity that is the greatest challenge. So I can't, I want to go back on cognitive fusion. Oh, sure. Okay. That's okay because I think you triggered something around opinion, hypothesis, speculation, fact, data. And let's face it, we live, as you know, Holly, in a low trust, confrontational, cynical and skeptical world, which does not serve someone if they're leading an organization, because any leader has to inspire right. trust, belief, shared values, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm and, you know, I'm just wondering, knowing what you know about the human brain and this cognitive fusion thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the, and the highly technical tendency to MSU, <laughs> um, does that then make storytelling skills and the ability to communicate through story even more important in any leader's toolkit? What's the connection? Yes. And no. Okay. It's in how you tell the story what the story relates to, the more our story is abstract, the more I fill in the blanks, the more our story is detailed and specific and touches on the emotions, etc., mm -hmm. the better off I'm going to be. We believe humans remember stories. Well, uh, there are triggers in our brain that help us to do that. Okay. It sort of gets captured in a way that is easier to pull from the file cabinet, if you will. <laughs> um, right. So that's a very good thing. The problem or the opportunity perhaps is there are a lot of stories that get told <laughs> by a lot of different people in the organization. How are we managing the stories, making sure the stories are crystal clear 
um, using language that is presumptive and what we call future active past tense. In other words, when we have accomplished, let's talk about our journey to do that. As if there is no doubt or question, we will have done it. So there are a lot of techniques underneath the storytelling that are insanely helpful to leaders. Um, you know, just standing up and doing the standard PowerPoint presentation with the revenue and margin and EBITDA numbers is not going to drive any decisions, right? No, no, uh, no one in any organization right now is sitting around making a decision based on what your EBITDA target is. Okay. <laughs> um, however, inspiring others on why this journey is important to you, why you're in this race, what, why does it matter, et cetera, as a leader, those are brilliant stories to tell, which help engage and inspire everyone along the journey. With that, you have to have the specificity and the metrics to measure your progress. Let me give you a simple example. I'm sure that you love the avalanche as well. Okay. <laughs> Imagine going to a game and there's no scoreboard. There are no real rules. Mm. Okay. Well, that's how work feels to most people most days. We're supposed to kind of be winning, but I'm not really sure what that is and what are the rules and what's the score right now and where are we as far as progress in the game, etc. And that's a sad thing because we're not taking advantage of our desire to win. We're not taking advantage of the ability to manipulate the human, which is what we do as leaders. We manipulate others to do or be the best on behalf of our organization, right? And so look up the definition of that word. It's not negative in any way. It's to shape, form, or mold, right, into the desired format. So how do we understand the basics so that we can use that information to manipulate humans successfully and be intentional about doing it? We do it unintentionally quite a bit. <laughs> when I ignore you, you'll, you'll get the message. If I just don't talk to you, you'll understand that I'm not happy with you. Well, that's manipulation, just not for good. So right. how do we focus in and really do it for good? Stories are one of the ways we can do that. Which begs the question, Holly, what's your story? In other words, how did your entrepreneurial journey begin? Oh, Where I, this, <laughs> I mean, this is, I think, I think this is always fascinating for folks to hear this very accomplished individual, but tell us the, the origin story of Holly Green, if you will. Well, I was born a United States Air Force brat, so I was born in Tachikawa, Japan. I've lived in many places, traveled a lot. Um, so that's that was the origin. Uh, I went to school and got a BA in BS. It's behavioral science, though, despite what some of you might have been thinking. Um, and I'm, I just became fascinated with human behavior, but not from a psychology, which is primarily a dysfunctional perspective. I became fascinated with how and why people do what they do at work and how and why we have these books that say, you know, everyone's going to do this and have an agenda and they'll all come in prepared and people will follow up. And I, and I worked for these amazing companies. I never once saw that happen. So I, I, I really became fascinated with that, which drove me back to school to get a master's of science in organization development. Again, really honing in and focusing on how the brain works at work. At the same time, I went to work for the Coca-Cola company and I was invited to sit on the board of a company that had been formed by former Top Gun fighter pilots. And I went to those meetings and me, oh my, the, the difference in the approach, the thinking, the decision-making was so dramatic that I became really, truly fascinated with this brain. And then that's when I began my postgraduate work of neurophysiology, really diving into what do we know and how in the heck can we leverage that instead of pretend that we are logical, rational creatures that are going to come to work and everybody knows what they're supposed to do and they all do it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I've worked for some amazing companies, been very, very lucky. I was a reluctant entrepreneur. Uh, I worked for Fortune 100 organizations for a number of years and was very reluctant entrepreneur. And one day woke up and realized I am bored silly in this job. Was again, working for a Fortune 100 and I was taking a nap, literally closing the door of my office and taking a nap in the afternoons because I just wasn't engaged and was bored silly. 
at the same time, I was so lucky. Um, the president of an organization, a Fortune 500 company, happened to call me and say, can you take vacation time and come up and help facilitate this process for us of our strategic planning and drive, help us drive it to execution? Are you allowed to do that? It was a non-competitive space, et cetera. So I went to my boss. I was allowed to do it. So I did that. And I realized I had such energy. Um, and so I was, I went back and resigned and, you know, gave them 60 days notice and sort of that. I, I, I was always very good for whatever reason at staying in touch with people. All, almost all of my clients come from people I worked for or worked for me, or I worked with, um, or I've met now along the journey of being out doing this, almost all referrals, et cetera. Um, and they, they have to be incredibly driven to want to win. And so that was my journey is, is setting other people up to be even more successful. And it's what I absolutely love doing. I I'm going to take you back going. before you go much further, Holly, I got to take you back to that first day. Cause I just had this conversation with somebody else yeah. the other day, the first day you're, you're going into speak, consult, run a workshop, whatever that, what do you remember vividly about your first, shall we say, outside the, you know, the friendly confines of corporate and mm -hmm. into that world, because everyone remembers their first day. I remember having so much energy and being so excited and also being uh, nervous, of course, that, uh oh, you know, are, are they going to find out that I'm not good enough to do this? <laughs> of course. Um, but really just being grateful for the opportunity. Just so grateful that, oh my gosh, this is something I get to do. How incredibly cool is this? Yeah. And, and that, but that it's that first day that leads to all the other accomplishments, the multiple appearances on networks and speaker of the year awards books, including more than a minute. Uh, tell us about some of the significant milestones that when you look at it, you go, yeah, were it not for that first day, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, that's a good one. I think it, it happened long before I actually jumped into, you know, having my own firm and, um, beginning true work in this space. And that was just keeping in touch with people mm -hmm. and always, focusing on, you know, if, if I knew there was something you were really interested in, Gar, and I came across, across an article or piece of information that related to that, I would send it to you. You know, just being very, I'm very interested in what people are interested in. And that has served me, anyone who ever asked me, how did you start this? Um, you know, what were some of the first things you did? Just say, you know, this is something you need to really be interested in others and listen and pay attention and keep simple notes. In the early days, it might've been a notebook that had notes. <laughs> you know, today you can easily do it in a lot of different computer programs that make it simpler for you and you can keep databases, et cetera. But be interested in others and keep up with them. It is very easy to get too busy and not keep up with people. Um, not that you, everyone you meet, you think, oh, this could be a client. That's certainly not just, but just, just general interest in humans. Um, so that, that's kind of where it got started. And then I I'm just a really big nerd. I read a lot. I explore a lot. I research a lot and I'm always translating, like I said, the theory into execution. Okay. What kind of tool will help me remember this and, and doing that for myself and then realizing that could be helpful and sharing that, um, you know, as appropriate, uh, a lot of times just just because I think it will be helpful. And, and that's sort of built the, the business kind of built from there. Um, I'm a reluctant speaker. Uh, I never dreamed I would be a professional speaker. Uh, my clients started asking me to attend their conferences, their big sales meetings, their, you know, they, their association meetings, et cetera. And that just blossomed. I, I'm, I have stumbled through this journey. <laughs> I have been pulled and pushed and dragged by uh, amazing people around me. Um, if you had told me 30 years ago, this is where I'd be, I would have laughed you out of the room. So, you know, I'm not one of those who knew when I was young or even early in my career, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I just knew I have a true passion for learning. I really am interested in humans 
and I absolutely love helping people be successful. How can I bring that together mm. uh, to make enough money to pay the mortgage? <laughs> and enjoy life with your partner, Mark Green. Uh, it says here, and I have every reason to believe that you were, um, you, you, you married him at five years old and you, you, you are married for like happily for more than four decades. That's, That's gotta part. be true. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So, see, Holly, it says so right here in the notes. That's right. So I'm just doing the MSU thing here and applying my own cognitive fusion. Of course, it, it must be true. It's absolutely true. Unquestionably so. In fact, we have two children and our son, we just celebrated his uh, 34th birthday. And I said, you know, it's amazing that I had you before I was born. <laughs> exactly. So. A question we ask everyone on the leadership standard. You ready for it? I'm ready. Holly, how would you, from all your experiences, 30,000 feet in the trenches, knowing what you know about cognitive fusion, how would you define leadership? Oh, that is such a hard one. Um, I define leaders our leadership as the ability to be clear on winning and to inform, inspire, and engage others to get in the race with you in when a nutshell. You, <laughs> when you take that definition and paint that in a very human picture, because you are part of the human factor. Yeah. What does that look like? It looks like someone who uh, engenders trust and inspires others to want to be their best selves that sets people up to be successful versus catching them doing it wrong. Um, someone who is truthful mm -hmm. and candid and is willing to have the tough conversations in the best interest of others. Someone who can think strategically and behave humbly um, I have been really lucky. I'm thinking of very specific people as I tell you these things, mm. because I've been so lucky. I've worked with some really crappy leaders, um, but boy, I've been really lucky to also work with some truly amazing ones as well. In terms of public archetypes, can you pick out three leaders? You mentioned Roger Staubach, uh, <laughs> Captain America is maybe one, but are there archetypes that would personify these qualities, these ideals that you're painting? Oh, that's a really good question. Hmm. I, I, you know, I'm not, nothing is coming to mind. I think about intellectually smart and emotionally brilliant uh, so I, I don't, what archetype would that be? I don't know. That's a hard one. Um, and I think it is that combination mm -hmm. that I am certainly most drawn to and find inspires others most effectively. Hmm. I have to think of a archetype. Now that's a challenge for me. Well, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to open a Pandora's box and go to Harry Potter. You've got oh, this fascination, don't you? I do. You've got, you've got this fascination with Harry Potter. Now, I think that would be so much fun <laughs> is to connect your world of neuroscience, definitions of leadership, and Harry Potter. How does all that come together, Holly? Oh, well, see, and Harry Potter's a part of an incredible story, right? Uh, he also stumbles through life. He's not uh, someone who charges up and says, I want to lead, but leads when he's called to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that's an interesting one. I'd have to tease that apart. I'm it, it's one of my favorite series because of the storytelling, the brilliant storytelling, and because of the journey that everyone, all of the characters take, uh, and because of what the characters represent, the evil, the, you know, <laughs> um, the, the bumbling, you know, friend, et cetera. So, you know, I love that because that is a great reflection of what we see in our real lives. It's just more fun because there's magic involved. <laughs> and if only we all had those wands. 
those magic wands. Oh, wouldn't that be just absolutely amazing? They are they are on sale. Uh, we were just at Universal Studios in Orlando yeah. over the break, and I couldn't believe that the magic wands, you can actually buy ones if you if you so choose. That being said, um, let's kind of dive into something else. You 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 mentioned that four-letter word uh -oh. that you're proud of. <laughs> that four-letter word, Holly, nerd. Yeah. Which instantly says you're a voracious reader and yes. you know you've you've heard the phrase leaders are readers obviously that being said if you were to chart maybe right off the top and let's have some fun with this your top five authors because oh. i skip i'm looking behind you and i'm going she's that's just a small portion oh, yeah. of the holly green library <laughs> yeah. isn't it yeah, can you give us very your small. all? Can you give us your all-time fave five? Oh my gosh! Okay, these some of these are going to be a little abstract. Um, one of my favorite books, and and the author, uh, it was an autobiography, is Romald Spasowski. He was the highest-ranking communist to ever defect to the United States. So that's kind of an abstract one. Um, <clears throat> Uh, certainly Ayn Rand, uh, if you begin to look at that, Herman Hesse, an existentialist. Uh, but also, if I, if I move into more of the business world today, Daniel Kahneman's seminal work on thinking fast and slow is absolutely brilliant. Um, and, you know, any of the United States Navy SEAL books, Jocko Willink, or any of the others on extreme ownership and the mentality of being such an elite uh, performer, if you will in mm -hmm. such incredible chaos and stress I'm always fascinated with. Um, for fun, you know, I have a lot. I have my, one of my favorite authors, of course, is Canadian, Louise Penny, who writes the Inspector Gamache series based out of Three Pines, the fictional town in Canada, in Quebec. Um, and, you know, Lisa Gardner and James Patterson and all of those sort of very popular mystery I, I am fascinated with mysteries because of the human thinking, the decision-making that goes into any of those scenarios. So, you know, I read probably three books for fun every week and then um, a business book. And I read a lot of summaries as well, a lot of book summaries to decide whether I want to dive deeper. So I have some subscription series to, you know, that provide me book summaries, which is fantastic. And what a wonderful way to, you know, get very quickly the the crux of something. You're you're never alone when you have a good book. <laughs> oh, that's how right. True, how true is that? Uh, let's go into a slightly different direction here, Holly. Um, the moment of challenge or failure in your leadership journey. Mm -hmm. Now, don't betray any confidences, but I'm trying to take you back to that day. When, mm -hmm. when you think of the most significant moment of, you know, challenge or failure, like what happened as best you can tell it, because I think every leader listening today wants to know, well, what'd you do to overcome it? Yeah, that's a good one. I think uh, a huge failure for me early on was not having the tolerance for stupid people. <laughs> okay. Um, and you get that in fortune 500 companies and in any company, certainly you get it, but it's hidden a little better, the larger the organization sometimes. And so I, I have had to learn to temper that tolerance, uh, a, a, a coach, someone, uh, it was actually someone several levels up in, in early in my career, um, told me, think about internal colleagues in the same vein that you would an external client. I have the ultimate tolerance for external clients because I had done like small projects early on mm. in my career for others. I, I didn't have any of that for internal. And I've had to really learn to bring others along, sometimes very slowly, in the race with me. So I often uh, tell leaders today, imagine yourself breaking through the tape at the end of a race. And the challenge is your team is just now showing up at the track. Mm. And we forget that gap. 
Mm. And that can be very frustrating when you're so clear on something and you've already processed it. And, and leaders typically have processed well in advance of, you know, saying anything or driving a new decision or program or process, et cetera. So we've, we've already kind of worked it out in our brain. And I had to learn that myself the hard way. I think I made some big mistakes. <clears throat> if I could go back, those would be the, the things I would undo, if you will. Although mm. then, then it wouldn't be fun because I wouldn't have learned it and I wouldn't be where I am. <laughs> so, um, but even if I could go back and say to a few people, yeah, I'm really sorry that I was so intolerant of, of you. Uh, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, Holly, uh, and we are for the record, Facebook friends, but we've never really met until today. And you know, as well as I do, uh, that social media just gets a bad rap. The knee jerk reaction is it's all bad. However, I see social media can be such a force for good. And here's an example. Here we are, you know, through what? Two different countries, through the magic of Zoom. And here we are live on LinkedIn. And we have a question. Oh, my from goodness. Someone watching, listening to us. To me, this is the magic. This is the yes. beauty of, of what we can do with this. So uh, Craig Hampson wants to know. She, he's picking up on what we were talking about earlier about making winning look crystal clear. Here's mm -hmm. what Craig's asking. There are so many different business models and cultures. Mm -hmm. How do you help leaders gain that level of clarity around this concept called winning? Great question. And thank you for asking it. Um, so we start with understanding the context, the environment, the market conditions, et cetera, of the, whatever the business is and whatever they're faced with. And then we have to be comfortable knowing there is no one right or one wrong answer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whatever we choose, first of all, it can be adapted. It can be shifted. It can be changed as needed as more information becomes available um, along the journey. But we start with helping people really understand the purpose or the mission of the organization. And many people go through week-long exercises to do this. I can get you to yours, I, I guarantee, in 45 minutes or less. Because it, it, you know, just by listening to you and asking key questions and pulling out of your head what your drivers are, and this might be with just you as the single leader, or it might be with a small group around you of your reports, et cetera. So it's a process of doing that um, where we can use examples and types of language. It, the key about your purpose or mission statement is it answers the question, why do we exist? Not what do we do? Mm -hmm. Why do we exist at the biggest possible sort of level? It is an unattainable statement, if you will. It is inspirational, aspirational. It is 12 words or less highly likely. It is not a paragraph right, that no one will ever remember. That then drives you to how will you behave? And those are your values, your guiding principles in an organization. And we can, I can help you tease those out through, again, conversations and questions. And now here's what becomes really important, specificity. Many, many organizations, in fact, most organizations today have a set of values. And the problem is they are things like teamwork, innovation, integrity, collaboration, uh, that don't really mean anything, but actually they mean too much because every single person interprets them differently. So we have to define them with excellence. They are called behavioral indicators. What does it look like? Let's pretend, Gar, in your organization, you said teamwork is most crucial. It's one of your core values. Everyone has to exhibit it. What does that look like when we're doing it really well in your organization, behaviorally? What will I see? If I were a fly on the wall, what would I see? Um, and so we then develop those. Now, because the brain likes guide rails, right? When we're driving on a road, we want the guide rails, stay within the lines, okay? Mm -hmm. Our brain really loves that structure. Um, it's important to us and enables us to feel like we're moving faster and more effectively, so we also create contra indicators. This is what's in, this is what's out. So that begins that journey of defining and describing what's our purpose, how will we behave? Then we say, who are our stakeholders and what's in it for them? Why do they care? What do they want? What do they need? Because if we're not serving them well mm -hmm. in everything we do, we're irrelevant.
And it's a funny step that most organizations never get clear on and communicate to others. So we call it stakeholder value propositions. I say everyone's got to get tuned in to your favorite radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me, baby? Right? That's what drives us. That then leads to something we call destination modeling. Where are we going this year? Now, a lot of people do five-year, 10-year plans. That's fantastic, except you're really, you might as well go smoke crack in the, in the alley because there is no way in today's world we can map out that far, not with specificity. You could have some, a few milestones or guideposts, okay? Um, but it's one year of specificity with a rolling three-month really deep dive on everything underneath that. So that destination, I always tell people, it's like saying I'm going on vacation. Well, how cool is that? You're going on vacation. Well, are you going to Boise or are you going to Bali? Now, mm -hmm. they're both nice places, but Boise ain't Bali, right? <laughs> and I need to be really, really clear because now to plan to get there is a dramatically different journey, right? So, and then that drives all the way to operationalizing budgets, you know, it's, and, and then eventually to individual goals, responsibilities, KPIs, et cetera. So there's this cascading framework, uh, again, with tools and templates, et cetera, that support all of that. If, if, any, if anyone listening wants information on that, I'm more than happy to send you what we call strategic agility. And I'm, I'm happy to send you our overview, which kind of outlines the whole thing. More than happy to share that with you. So I'm assuming, Gar, we can kind of put that up on the site, my email, and for people can oh, ask. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we so just, are, you know. Yeah, our, our uh, crack team at the Tech Canada Leadership <laughs> Standard, uh, Stephen Christofferson, uh, who wore a tie to work today, he's more than on top of that. Um, yeah, so ask me for the strategic agility overview. And again, complimentary, yeah. happy to share it with anybody that wants it. Here's here's where we want to go next. You ready, Holly? I'm ready. We're going to get up close and personal. Oh, no. <gasps> yes, we are. Because people are curious to know. If you could have a one-on-one -on -one dinner date with anyone dead or alive who's not your husband, who would that be? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I, I want two answers. Okay, and I'm cheating. <clears throat> the first one is Abraham Lincoln. Um, I think he is one of the most fascinating people in history from his ability to collaborate and build teams across people who absolutely at their very core at the values level disagreed and drive that execute to that. Um, and just the whole times he lived in and everything else would just all be fascinating to me from an American history perspective. Um, I, and, and, and like I said, bigger than that, from a person who is able to bring together people with disparate and contradictory values uh, is incredible and incredible in any time at any level. The second one may be shocking. The second one would be Adolf Hitler because... He's, he was a heinous person by every measure mm -hmm. uh, that you could, you know, every measure of humanity, et cetera, unquestionably heinous. What he did was heinous. But understanding how in the heck he was able to do it, I am fascinated with, because I believe he manipulated people for, for bad, obviously right. for terrible, terrible things. How in the hell can anyone achieve that? There was a lot of cognitive fusion going on back in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Obviously. Well, and in and, and all the surrounding areas too, right? right? There was a lot of collusion, et cetera. So I actually have studied quite a bit about it, but I'm fascinated from a neurophysiological perspective. Mm. How do you engage so many people in such a heinous journey? And what can we learn from that mm. to engage them in a good journey? Right. How, how, well, how do we take the learning out of that and say, how do I apply that in a positive way in my organization? Right. How do I take some of those skills and flip them on their head so that we're using the things for good, not for evil? Quite a contrast between honest Abe and <laughs> so I said, the second one arguably the greatest monster yes. that the global history has ever known. Uh, time or money is no object. 
where would you travel? We know Boise's off the list, but where would you go? <laughs> no, Boise's a great little town. <laughs> it really is. I've been there quite a few times. It's really cute. Well, here's the good news. Um, so I made a decision last year to uh, what I call semi-retire. So I'm working half to three-fourths of the time. And my husband and I and our whole family have always been huge travelers. So I've been to almost every continent except Antarctica. Um, and uh, we continue to do that. We have five huge trips planned this year. So I definitely take time out. Um, I am fascinated with other cultures, other ways of thinking, uh, food, you know, you name it. And so um, I, I don't know... If time and money, I'm, I'm just trying to think of anything that's left on the list. Uh, I might do a big safari in Africa and spend a lot more time in parts of Africa. Uh, but we've kind of checked off or will have by the end of this year, pretty much, you know, the wonders of the world and the national park system in the U.S. and Canada and, you know, uh, Europe. Most, and Now the most important question of them all. We're going right to the nitty gritty. Uh oh. Everyone's going to be hanging on this one, Holly. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what are your best binge watching recommendations? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. There are so many. I mean, Game of Thrones is just, you know, you just, if you haven't seen it, you're out of the loop. Uh, <laughs> Yellowstone is phenomenal. And all of the, you know, 1883, 1923, just, just absolutely love those. There's a really cool one called Chance. It's about a doctor. He's a neuropsychiatrist. So you can imagine that I'm, I'm drawn to that one. Um, that's really quite fascinating. Hugh Laurie. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers House, the TV series. He was the doctor on that. So he's the, the uh, doctor again. Um, I wa We watch a lot of home improvement shows. We're big DIY people. Uh, I'm trying to think of others, you know, because those are all more kind of recent. Um, oh, there's a great one. Um, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which is an Australian series. Uh, Three Pines, uh, which is the new, you know, based in Canada. And so we've watched all of those, uh, certainly because I, I love the author. I think the books are much better, but that's almost always the way it is. Um, of course, Lord of the Rings is phenomenal. I mean, I could go on and on. It's kind of funny. I don't watch that much TV or anything, but when I do, I, I get pretty serious. <laughs> now we're getting really serious. Holly, <laughs> we just got the call from Paramount. They're going to do the film biopic on Holly Green. Okay. And you get to pick the lead actor who plays you oh. in the biopic. Who plays me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You get to decide. Oh, wow. There was an actress uh, and I haven't, what was her name? Her name was Holly too. Was it Holly Hunter? She was in Ice Castles. Boy, and I'm now I'm really dating myself. <laughs> she was in broadcast news. Was she? I believe so. I wonder if it was the same with, one. I might have the William wrong William Hurt, I believe. And uh, other books. If it's it the would same have Holly to be Hunter. someone who who kind of bumbles and, and someone who uh, has some humor, um, who is definitely willing to be wrong, who is passionate and enthusiastic about life. I don't know. Who do you think? Ooh, let's turn the tables on the interviewer. Oh, I, we, 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 we can't do that because <laughs> that, that suddenly is sliding into very potentially murky or dangerous territory. But here's where we're going to bring it back. Holly, I know we've got the official picture of you holding the human brain, but instead of the brain, hold the imagine and hold it up. Hold up right now. Your imaginary crystal ball. Oh, okay. okay. If you yeah. could, if you could, <laughs> if you could see into the future, if you had that superpower, what would you like to know? Oh, what would I like to know? Oh, 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 oh my goodness. What would I like to know? See, I'm not sure I want to because I like the wonder and the exploring and the pondering. What would I like to know? Oh my gosh, that's a stumper. Hmm. I feel... Oh. Maybe, maybe the names of my grandbabies. 
How's that? <laughs> As we wrap up today and Holly, I can like you and I could spend hours just going back and forth because it's been so thoroughly insightful, entertaining. But when you think about, and, and especially in that Tech Canada, Vistage International community that uh, we're both part of, what is the number one question that leaders need to be asking right now? What is winning? What is winning for me personally? And what is winning for the organization? That is, and then see, I keep breaking the rules here, Gar. I'm sorry about that. But the second question right after that one is, what do I need to unlearn to get there? Oh, love that. Because unlearning is just as important. What got us to this place won't get us to the next one, but we hold on. Mm. We hold on. We like traveling familiar neuro pathways. We like the same things over and over, et cetera. So what is winning and what do I have to unlearn? And finally, the shameless plug, Holly, where can listeners and viewers connect with you online? Um, the human .biz, B I Z is the website and you'll find all of my contact info there, or just email me directly, Holly at the human .biz. Um, and I am happy if you've got a question or you say, Holly, what are some key questions to get me focused on when you I have an abundance mentality. There is more than enough to go around for all of us. I'm happy to share with you something. If, if I've got it, uh, happy to have a quick conversation, et cetera. Uh, I love talking to really smart people and driven people. So take it. One of the things we don't do well as humans is take advantage of our resources. It is an instinctual reaction to doing it ourselves the hard way that we learned in first grade. Do it by yourself the hard way. It is stupid to, to hold on to that mental model at work, but almost all of us do. So reach out, reach out, take advantage of your resources in this tech and Canada and Vistage community. There are phenomenal resources. We're all engaged because we like helping others. We like supporting people and being successful. Take advantage of that. Holly, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Leadership Standard. Thank you so much for having me. And again, thanks to Holly Green at The Human Factor for joining us today. And if you want to know more about Tech Canada and its world-class programs, check out the website www.techtec-canada.com. What was it that Holly Green spoke of that made you stop and think and ponder and reflect. Uh, there's uh, uh, there was so much to to go through. For me, it's this whole idea of cognitive fusion that uh, that that's really got my wheels turning. But what was your biggest takeaway? Because we always love to hear what you think. Uh, just send us a, a note. Podcast. Uh, the email is podcast at techtec-canada.com. And of course, if you enjoyed. The Leadership Standard, we encourage you all to uh, share with other folks in your online social networks so that, uh, you know, they, you might, who knows, inspire someone else. And what Holly shared today might uh, help trigger some thoughts for somebody else to basically uh, grab hold of the clutch and go full throttle in this new frontier. On behalf of everyone, executive producer Mark Johnson, Catronel, Alexander, and the necktie-wearing Stephen Christofferson. I'm Gare Maxwell, and looking forward to having you join us again on The Leadership Standard.